So seven years ago, I committed my, recommitted my life to the Lord with my wife, Megan, and we were both baptized in this pool. And it's really so exciting to stand in front of you here today. You see, I've experienced the transformative power of Christ in my life, and today we're going to be looking at a story of Jesus' power together from the Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your Word. Thank you that by providing us with the Bible, you're giving us an opportunity to get to know you, the living God. And I pray that eyes and and hearts will be open to the fact that your word is truth. And not only that it's truth, but also that your word has power, Lord. Your Lord has power to change lives, even now in 2020. I pray that we will realize that these aren't stories, but these are a way to build our relationship with you. Amen. Let's read together. It's a very famous story about Jesus calming a storm, and last night's weather made me think that maybe there would be a storm this morning, but uh, the the sound effects aren't going to be as I predicted. All right, Jesus calms a storm. One day, he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep, and a windstorm came down on the lake, And they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves. And they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. Let's have a look at the characters of this story. You see, many of the disciples were fishermen. James and John, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, were amongst the first disciples that Jesus called to follow him. And they actually met on the very shore of the Sea of Galilee where this storm takes place. And we know that James and John came from a fishing heritage. When we meet them, they're in a boat with their father Zebedee, busy mending nets. And as fishermen, they would have relied on the sea for their livelihood, but they also would have had a wary respect for the sea. And not only because of the danger of storms, but also because in their culture, there were many negative associations with the sea. You see, at various times in the Old Testament, the sea represents chaos and even evil. But after a lifetime on the water, there's something we can be quite confident of. That is that they were experts at sailing. So if you would want to be with any boat crew during a storm, This would be a good one to pick. They had probably encountered and even successfully navigated storms similar to this in the past. They were true experts. They had the skills. They had the knowledge. They had the experience. But they weren't alone in the boat. This story starts with a calling. Remember that it was Jesus who called the disciples to go across the lake. And Jesus had asked much more of them before. He had asked them to leave their work. He had asked them to leave their families and follow him. And he had never led them astray before. And I doubt that these disciples would have anticipated any difficulties in the crossing. Jesus undoubtedly knew that they would learn a valuable lesson about faith during the storm. But I also think that there was another goal in their crossing. You see, when they arrive on the opposite shore, Jesus frees a man from demons. And in doing that, he brings further glory to God and advances his kingdom. We read that the man who Jesus freed from the demons after they arrived in the Gersenes desperately wanted to stay with him 
But Jesus said, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. When we are making big decisions or any decisions in our lives, where is Jesus? Do we make the decision to cross the sea and then ask Jesus to join us? Or are we leaving Jesus on the shore? Or are we prayerfully asking Jesus to call us and then if he calls us to make a crossing, are we trusting that he will get us across the water safely and ultimately bring him glory and advance his kingdom? Because we do have a calling as followers of Jesus. And although people are very different and callings are very different, the ultimate goal of your calling is the same, and that will be to glorify God. And I'm not saying that Jesus is some golden ticket to a life free of storms, because that simply isn't true. In this story, the disciples encounter a storm because they are following Jesus. He led them directly into a storm. And nowadays, you're going to find that you encounter many storms especially with this world becoming more and more secular when you're following Jesus' calling. But look at the reward. How many people do you think that this man, who was now freed from demons, would have told about Jesus? And the people who had witnessed this miracle, how many people would they have told about the glory of God? It can be scary to obey when we're called by Jesus. But we have to remember that we aren't alone in the boat Especially when we're going through storms, Jesus is there right with us. And we should also be asking the Lord to guide us and then trusting wholeheartedly in his plans. Let's get back to these sailing experts. So Jesus is busy sleeping in the back of the boat. And I'm sure as the storm started brewing, the disciples would have started making preparations for things to get rough. For those of you who know me or don't know me, I grew up in Pretoria and I don't know anything about sailing. But I imagine that they would have started making some changes. They would have adjusted the sails. They would have tightened ropes. They would have redistributed weights and such things. They would have used all the skills that they had learned at sea over years and years as the waves kept on getting bigger and bigger and the wind started howling. And that's what happens nowadays, you see. Society puts a great value on expertise and on our own individual excellence. And working to your best ability and honoring God with your work is promoted in the Bible. In Proverbs 16, we read, Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. But relying on your own excellence is problematic in a few ways. What happens is that we start to base our value on our own achievements, and then our success turns into an idol. We slowly become self-reliant, and our need for God and our appreciation of God's will over our lives gets less and less as we become proud. But the reality is that a day will inevitably come when you fail, when you can't handle a situation. And then, without the solid foundation of the Lord, our whole world can seem to crumble. And those days come unexpectedly, just like the storm in this passage. Living in this beautiful city, I'm sure that many of you have seen a weaver bird's nest. And it's quite an amazing feat of engineering for me that this bird can create this with just its beak. But I'm sure you've also seen how the female bird, if she's not happy with the structure, rips it apart. It's quite heartbreaking to see that. But over the season, the male bird practices and practices, and eventually his expertise shines through, and he builds an amazing nest until a gale comes. And just like 
AccuWeather gets it wrong in this city all the time. We can't predict when a storm is coming. This COVID pandemic has been a dramatic storm in our lives, an unexpected storm in our lives. Many people have lost financial security. People have lost freedoms that we hold dear. People have even lost loved ones. People, though, are going, have been going through storms every day, be it a toxic work environment or an unhappy relationship or just financial stresses. But it's these storms that we often don't bring before the Lord. You see, what happens is that we're able to juggle the finances to make it through to the end of the month. Or maybe you can avoid that confrontation at work, just avoid that colleague. Or repair some issue with a spouse or a loved ones, maybe trying to pay the way with flowers and chocolates. But all the while, you're relying on me, myself, and I. And we grow in confidence in our own resilience and our own abilities. And there are also storms which aren't external. They can be internal storms too. Sin causes many storms in our lives. And so often we try to overcome sin alone without bringing it before the Lord. And sadly, sin is something that overwhelms us quite often. And the scary thing about sin is that it often happens much more stealthily than with the external storms. But what I'm trying to say to you today is that there are storms in your life, external or internal, that you will not be able to overcome alone. That's a reality. And that's what happened to the men that day on the boat with Jesus. Despite their experience and their expertise, they became terrified that the storm would overcome them, and it exposed their lack of faith in Jesus. Panic set in. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves. And they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. I became quite overwhelmed by fear during this COVID pandemic. For those of you who don't know, I'm a doctor working in internal medicine at Free Hospital. And we were the team admitting the, the very sick patients with COVID, the ones needing oxygen support. And as the pandemic started to grow, we started to experience a lot of fear in the hospital. And I started to become very angry. I was angry that the systems weren't working well, but I think I was also angry because I no longer felt like I had any control. I was just being swept along in this pandemic. And as more and more cases started coming in, we started to hear stories from overseas about doctors and nurses who were dying from COVID. And at first it was just older doctors dying, but then we started to hear cases about younger, doctor dying, younger doctors dying too. And then I started worrying about my family. What would happen to my wife if I died? What would happen to my unborn son? Still, I was trying to take action to regain some control. I moved into a small flat at the back of our property to try and limit contact with Megan. And I even went to Liesl Ann to set up a will. And I'm definitely not saying that that's a bad thing. But I'm just trying to bring you into my headspace. The fear and the anger was, was mounting and mounting, and I was just trying desperately to keep some kind of grip on control by my own power. And then Megan had a mini-stroke three days before our baby was due to be born. And that night, I lost any sense of control. I felt like I was in the midst of the storm, and it was about to overcome me completely. And I cried out to God in desperation that night. And thankfully, he saved me from the storm 
just like Jesus saved his disciples. Megan made a complete recovery, and the next day our beautiful boy Caleb was born, completely healthy. But the real grace of this story is even though I waited until I had been overcome, until I had tried everything I could by my power to stay in control before crying out to him in panic, he still saved me. But I had to ask some very tough questions that night. I had to look honestly at my view of God in my life. Do I see him as sovereign? Do I see him as loving? Do I see him as good? Because if we do, then we can have complete faith and trust in him. One of the characteristics of God is that he is immutable. That means he's never changing. And that means that he is sovereign. That means that he is good and he is loving. Not just some of the time, but all of the time. Even during the storm. Even if we are being overwhelmed. And growing in our knowledge of God and our relationship with God will bring increased faith and peace in those times. And I'm not trying to detract from sorrow and sadness at loss. Rather, I want to emphasize to you that even in your sorrow, God is still there, just like Jesus was on the boat that day. And more importantly, He is always good because that is in His unchangeable nature. You are not alone. Storms can have positive consequences. There's a wind that they call the, the Cape Doctor in Cape Town. I think it's a southeasterly wind, Ono. And it, it apparently blows all the, way, the, pop, the pollution away from Cape Town. So that's a positive consequence of a storm. And a positive result of a storm in our life is that it forces us to search for a deeper relationship with God. Like what happened to me that night, we cry out in the storm, Father, Father, help us. Charles Spurgeon said it like this, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me against the rock of ages because those trials brought him closer to God. And if we are honest, the storms often expose those false idols that we've been relying on. Whether it be money, whether it be ourselves and our own skills, like in my case, or perhaps we're relying on other people and making them into an idol. Jesus asked the disciples, where is your faith? And I think we can ask ourselves that today. What are you relying on to get you through the storm? Where are you putting your faith? Because the where is very important. Tim Keller says it like this, It is not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that actually saves you. Strong faith in a weak branch is fatally inferior to weak faith in a strong branch. Jesus is our strong branch. You might ask yourselves how the men on that boat could even have doubted Jesus. After all, this wasn't the first time that Jesus had performed a miracle with his word alone and shown the power and authority of his word. Going through Luke, we've already encountered many examples of this. In Luke 4, we meet a man who's been possessed by a demon, and Jesus rebukes that demon and says, be silent and come out of him. And everybody who witnesses it says, what is this word? With, for with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And later we meet Simon's mother, and she's ill with a fever, and Jesus rebukes the fever, and immediately she rises and begins to serve them. In Luke 7, we read about the story of the, the good centurion who had a sick servant, 
And he sent for Jesus to help him. And while Jesus was on the way, before he had even arrived, the centurion sent out some friends to stop Jesus and say, Lord, I'm not worthy of having you under my roof, but just say the word and let my servant be healed. And Jesus responded, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And the servant was healed. And in verses 11 to 16 of verse 7, we read about this miraculous story of a widow's son who Jesus raised from the dead with his words, young man. I say to you, arise. But even though they had walked with him and they had seen these amazing deeds, still their disciples had doubt. Who did they think he was? Did they think Jesus was a prophet? Did they think he was just a great teacher or a wise and compassionate man? We have the benefit of the Bible. We know what happened in Luke 3 when Jesus was baptized and the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove and a voice came from heaven saying, You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And later on in Luke we also read the stories of how Jesus proclaimed himself to be the son of man and predicted his death to end sin and was even revealed in his glory when he was transfigured on the mountain before Peter, John and James. But the disciples did not have the Bible in front of them. They would, however, have been familiar with Psalm 135, where it says, Whatever the Lord pleases, He does, in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from His storehouses. No wonder the disciples were filled with fear and awe at Jesus calming the storm. They knew that that was God's business. They were asking, who then is this, out of fear? But I can imagine that they were also looking at one another and saying, are you thinking what I'm thinking? He just calmed the storm with his word. Is this the Messiah? Is this Jesus, the Son of God? See, who then is this? This is the crux of this storm story for me. Who is this Jesus? What we've read shows us that he's absolutely sovereign. He has dominion over even the seas. But he's also caring and compassionate with the ability to heal people and the ability to cast out demons. He welcomes in people who are rejected by society. He even has the ability to raise a young boy from death. His works were awe-inspiring. And this is the Jesus that I pray that we will come to know. Not just have an opinion of, but actually come to know. Because if we know Jesus, then our faith will grow as our eyes are open to his glory. How do we go about that? We need to study the word. We need to delve into these stories of Jesus and get to know his character. We also need to pray regularly and ask him, Lord, fill our hearts and guide us. And we need to get into the habit of relying on God. We shouldn't just be waiting for the storms in our lives to come so that we can cry out to Him out of fear and panic. We should be laying our lives before Him daily and putting all our trust in Him. Because if the crux of this story is who then is this, this Jesus, the true miracle of our story is what He did for us by His sacrifice. You see, even though He's completely sovereign and so powerful, He was also completely obedient in submission to the will of the Father.
In Luke 2, we met Simeon, the prophet, and Simeon was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he met a young boy, Jesus, and he proclaimed over Jesus that he would be salvation for Israel. I say today that Jesus is salvation for all of us. When Jesus is reading in the synagogue in Nazareth, he's reading from Isaiah 61, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, He sent me to proclaim liberty to captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The Greek word that they would have used for liberty in this passage is ephesus, and that literally means release. And that's the year that they would have used to refer to the year of Jubilee, the year in Jewish culture when all slaves are released and all debts are canceled. Jesus brings that liberty. He brings our liberty from sin and the ultimate debt of that sin, which is death. You see, Jesus paid everything for us, as we sang this morning in worship, as a perfect sacrifice, willingly, so that we could know God. And that is who we are putting our faith in today. A God who is with us through the storms, who doesn't abandon us. He is on the boat with us. He's a powerful God. He's a God who loves us so much that He sacrificed His only Son so that we could enter into a relationship with Him. On the cross, we faced every storm. He faced every storm that we will ever face, and He did so willingly. And the amazing truth of that is that He was raised, and He overcame the ultimate storm. He overcame death. And this God is a God who is with us still. He is with us still today through His Spirit. And it's my prayer that we keep our eyes on Him. As we share in communion together, I would ask that you all reflect on that.